Hey there, welcome to the Literary Escapes podcast. I'm Becky, and I'm glad you're here today. If you're a fan of books that give you an escape or let you explore other cultures, then you're definitely in the right place. So I'm glad you've joined us today. Stick around. We've got a great author interview for you. So let's jump right in. Thank you, Kathleen, for being with us tonight. I really appreciate this. Thank you for inviting me. I, I appreciate that. So this to talk about books. Well, you are, we were talking about this earlier, you are in South Korea. So this is tomorrow for you, right? Tomorrow morning. I'm speaking to you from the future. <laughs> it goes well with the book, I think. <laughs> Between the time travel that um, took place in the book. So that works out pretty nicely. So you were telling me that you are an editor of the New York Times. Um, how long have you been with the New York Times and how did all that come about? Um, yeah, so I've been with the New York Times since 2005. Um, so my, yeah, my, my, my day job is really journalist. Um, I got into, I was, you know, an English major, um, okay. as so many people are. I loved books and reading and writing, and I didn't really have a plan for my career. And I actually started, when I, out of college, I was an English teacher in Hong Kong for two years. And after that, I was like, I really, I'm not, I'm not cut out to be a teacher. This is, this is just not what, what I can do, but I'm constantly, <laughs> constantly editing my students' compositions. Like that was my favorite part of being a teacher. And so I was like, well, maybe I could go to journalism school. So that was, that was what happened. Um, I went to journalism school in North Carolina and oh. I found a job at the local paper. So I sort of really fell into journalism. So I was a copy editor for many years, um, which is, nice. you know, basically like mm -hmm. the, you know, writing headlines, making sure everything makes sense. I was a copy editor in Raleigh. Um, I got the I got the opportunity to I was I was sort of invited to come and try out at the New York Times in 2004. Became a copy editor on the Metro Desk, and I have been there ever since. Um, nice. Not on the Metro Desk. I was uh, I did different different jobs at the Times, and as I was saying, I got this opportunity. I, I saw the listing for a job in Seoul at the Asia Hub. And so that was how I moved to the foreign desk, which nice. is international news. Um, so I, yeah, so here I am. Um, currently I'm like the late editor, which means I'm working from early afternoon to kind of 10 o'clock at night or so. So okay. when okay. I get to work, New York is asleep. Um, London is asleep, but London wakes up about three o'clock in our afternoon. Okay. And so I sort of communicate with London, like, yeah. uh, and then, then, yeah. Yeah, so their afternoon that, is when New York is waking up. And, right. It's, yeah. it's, kind, it's all kind of mind boggling. It's it like really I send is. A note, I send a handoff note of like things that I did, what published, what's going on. And it's like, I'm writing that note at 930 at night so that the editors <laughs> in New York can read it before they're meeting at 8.30 in the morning. And it's just like, I still have trouble sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy that the whole time shifts, like in our emails to each other, it's like, I had to think hard about, okay, so if I do this time, this is her time. <laughs> yeah, and it's often like a lag of like 24 hours because I write, a, I write an email, somebody reads it in their morning, by the time they've replied, it's my morning. So it's, it can be hard to get <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah, that's how I'm here. Um, 
that's how it happened. Interesting. Yeah. And so you are, you're enjoying it over there and, um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty intense. Um, I mean, obviously the news in the last, the last little while has been really intense. I mean, really since, you know, really since 2016 news has just been crazy, you know, like, but particularly with, you know, over here with the war in Ukraine and everything, it's just been, it's been pretty crazy. Um, And that was really, yeah, yeah. And I think that I I actually, that was part of my inspiration when I started writing this book, The Jane Austen Project was sort of a, a wish to escape from the dailiness of like, the constant, like, you know, news, 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 you know, bad things happening. Like I sort of wanted something that was completely outside of my daily existence. Um, And so I was sort of drawn to the past. And I think that's- That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what year did you write the book? Well, um, it it had a very long gestation process. I really got the idea. I got the idea. I remember. I remember distinctly. I got the idea in in September of two thousand seven, and it, it just came to me like in a flash of inspiration. And so I worked on the book, though like two thousand seven to like in 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 twenty twelve. I had like a manuscript. I had a complete okay. manuscript. I I joined a writer's workshop in Brooklyn where we all read each other's manuscripts, and based on that. I revised it some more. Mm-hmm. I started trying to find an agent um, sometime after that, about 2013. Um, I finally got an agent in 20, at the beginning of 2015. Um, and I worked on the book, like some other things, like I, he, he sold it almost immediately, but then I went through a revision process and I ended up um, losing one editor. Like we had a, we had a difference of views. And so at the end of at the end of 2015, I was I had like substantially revised the book. It sold again in 2016 and it came out in 2017. Okay. So it was really like 10 years wow. from start to finish. Okay. Which okay. is a long time um, for a book that's not, I mean, like I'm very proud of this book, but it, it's it's not like War and Peace, you know, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not that complicated. It really shouldn't have been that hard. But it is hard to write a book, as I'm finding. It's hard um, to write a book, yeah. Yeah, it, and I have new respect for anyone, you know. Even like when I read like a book that I think is not very good, it's like the person actually wrote it. Like you know, it's like to keep everything in order and to actually see this process through is is really um, it's it seems easy when you're not the one doing it. Um, Agreed. <laughs> so yeah. Like, <laughs> Agreed. That that's interesting. So. What were some of the differences that you noticed, like from being a journalist to being an author? Um, mm. The styles of writing, or the styles of writing, definitely. Um, you know, I think so, so. Yeah, yeah. Sort of. You know, one one big thing is like you know my time horizon, particularly as a copy editor, because that's not the kind of editor where you work on a project over a long period of time. It's like a copy editor gets a story, you know, turns it around, gets it in the paper. Like at most I might have worked on what's called a heave, which is like a, maybe a 3000 word story. Like one of those big ones that takes up two inside pages and a print edition. Um, But you're, you're, 
your life's the lifespan of an idea is quite short. Okay. So whereas a book, it's like a thing that you you work with over such a long period of time. Yeah. And actually one of the things I think that sort of helped me do this was I I got this kind of I was asked to work on something at the paper that was like a um where I was editing a series of stories over like a of a period of like six months um oh, cool. and so I had to actually assign stories and think about like you know I had to like think longer than a week a ahead yeah I think like a month ahead and and I sort of changed how I think about things so I think that you know that you know writing a book is like running a marathon like you have to really yeah. you know it has to be like sustained effort and sort of have a have a vision which um that was different for me and of course the writing is is very different um I think that newspaper you know journalism is it's really about conveying the facts as mm -hmm. as um swiftly as possible like I wouldn't say that the writing is terrible but it's often very dense um you know it's like we're sort of trained, you know, the so-called nut graph is like, there's all this jargon in journalism. I'm sorry, I'm using all these <laughs> That's okay. Nut graph. Um, but the nut graph is like the thing that this whole story can be boiled down to the essence of one paragraph. And when you start to, you, you if you read a New York Times story, you'll see what I mean. There's like one paragraph where you, okay, this, this has got the all story. the ideas yeah. the story and everything else is just an elaborate. A support of it, yeah. Yeah, where so that's a completely and usually that's like the second or third paragraph. And so, you know, whereas fiction is all about this sort of controlled release of information. Yeah. And it's you're telling it is, you know, it's like the beauty of the sentences themselves. So it's a very different sort of um just approach to to mm -hmm. conveying information. And of course, the sort of information is is, you know. But I think, you know, narrative is also, it, there's a lot of similarities too. Like you have to keep your reader interested and, mm -hmm. you know, I don't keep, know. Keep it relevant to what you're talking keep about. It relevant, yeah. you know, give the person a reason to keep reading. Uh, yeah. You know, there's, and of course there is like they do, they've done all these, you know, they can tell when you're reading something online, like what percentage of readers, not the right. individual readers, but what percentage of readers actually get to the bottom of a, mm -hmm. you know, a thousand word story or a 3000 word story. And it's, it's quite low. Um, most people don't read to the end and, yeah. um, you know, they, they, which is fine. Like they get as much information as they want and then they, they stop and, and then if they, they move want on. more, they yeah. read it. I try not to feel bad about that, but with, <laughs> obviously with a novel, you definitely want people to read to the end. That's, You'd like them to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's that uh, you put all this work into it 10 years worth of you you know thinking about right. this book you want them to read to the end so right. yeah so right. how did Jane Austen come come into your life I I have always um you know I've long been a fan of Jane Austen um I think I first read Pride and Prejudice when I was probably in seventh grade um I read her other works you know, gradually, but I wasn't, I wasn't like a huge super fan. I mean, I liked her, but I wasn't obsessed. Um, you know, that kind of came later. And I think it was sort of a, there were a couple of things, like I was reading actually something else that sort of brought, sent me back to Jane Austen, which was, there's this series of books. And actually this might be something you should consider for your book club, because it's definitely travel. Um, maybe you're familiar with it, Patrick O'Brien and the, um, 
the the first book is called Master and Commander. And there is a series of books about a um, Napoleonic, it's the Napoleonic Wars, it's the British Navy. So it's this captain okay. and his friend uh, who's a doctor. And they are, they have a series of adventures at sea. But it's really, the thing about it is it's set in the period of Jane Austen. You know, this is when she lived during the Napoleonic Wars. Um, and her brothers were actually, two of her brothers war, were actually yeah. captains. So this, but the way that Patrick O'Brien writes, it's very much like Jane Austen, like sort of in the humor and in the relationships. It's really about the relationships of people, even though they have all these sea battles and they have all these adventures, but it's really about the sort of the friendship between these two men and sort of the, the stuff that happens to them. And for some reason, and he really, you feel like you're in the past. Like when you read these books, it's like, you know, sometimes when you read historical fiction, you can sort of see the preoccupations of the present. Like people will do things that are, you know, seem very socially relevant today. Like yeah. the, the characters are very, very concerned about like women's rights or slavery or, you know, just in a sort of anachronistic way. Whereas, in, in Patrick O'Brien, you don't feel that at all. Um, like Hilary Mantel's Thomas Cromwell books are like that too. Like you really okay. feel, you don't feel the past like looking through. So I really, it was like, I was reading these books and I, and I was like, these are, these are amazing. It's like he was a time travel. It's like he went back and he saw what, what he reported. And, and I, I was like, what, maybe he really is a time traveler. Like this guy, the way he writes, <laughs> So for some reason, this I was like time travel and Jane Austen yeah. were sort of sort of merging in my head. Um, I was I think at that age I was the age that Jane Austen was when she died, and I started thinking about all that Jane Austen had done before she died at forty one, and I was like, I don't I don't know. It was all like this kind of mix in my head. But one night I was lying awake thinking like, you know, what if? if Jane Austen had been a man, like she probably would have gone to see like her brothers and maybe she would have written books like like this, um, but she wasn't, you know, and it was like, what what was Jane Austen really like anyway? I had never really con concerned myself with this question. Like I, yeah. I didn't want to know, I just liked the books. I wasn't interested in her biography, but for some reason I found myself thinking about this and really, really, like really wondering, like, I wish I knew, I wish I could know, I wish I could travel back in time and find this out. And, and for some reason that was like, but I, I can't, but I can, I can, <laughs> and it can be so real that it will be like I did and other people will get to experience this too. So it was really like this sort of, you know, sudden vision and, and it was, I was just ready to spend, you know, like 10 years devoting myself to this vision, yeah. which I didn't know what I was getting into, but I knew that I, I knew that I needed to do a lot of research. I really wanted to know exactly, you know, what was going on historically and what it was like to be alive in that time. Okay. And, and Jane Austen doesn't really give you that. She doesn't really give you the details. She just assumes that you know them. Exactly. Because she wasn't writing for us. <laughs> no. She was and, writing and for her people. Yeah. Yeah. And yet she does write for us because, you know, if you compare her to like other people, a lot of books at that time, they get bogged down in things about what people are wearing or, you know, the social customs that don't really make sense. And somehow, even though there's a lot of stuff in Jane Austen, like the more that you learn about 
how people did things. Like there's all these little clues in her stories, like what time people eat dinner, for example, is, right. is a very important social cue. But she doesn't belabor that. It's like, but there'll be a passing mention of like when people eat dinner yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, like this person is fashionable or this person is not. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's just, that is one, Yeah, or like what kind of carriages people mm, drive. Yes, yes. Um, people have written whole papers about this, you know, a gig versus a curacle versus a barouche. Exactly. Um, but, you know, it would be like, in our, you know, somebody was driving a Mercedes versus, um, you know, a, a Mini Cooper, like that would say something about their character. Right. And we assume this reading fiction, but, you know, somebody 200 years in the future is not going to understand the difference between the Mercedes driving character and the, the Mini Cooper driving character. But so, so her current, you know, contemporary readers had all these clues that we don't have. But the thing is, you still, her books still work anyway. That's yeah. what's amazing about them. They do. Yeah. I, enjoy them too so that's fun so when you wrote it how did they figure out what genre to put it in because you've got the time travel fantasy piece going on you've got the kind of dystopian after what was it called the um die off so you kind of got that piece in there but yet it feels like a historical fiction so mm. how did you how did they probably yeah. That was a challenge. Um, <laughs> and that, that was a challenge. I mean, I didn't really worry so much about that when I was writing it. I was just more like, yeah. I the book I want to write and I'll figure out, you know, the marketing angle later. Um, but I did, you know, you have to write, as, as I'm sure you know, like, you know, when you try to get an agent, you have to sort of write a letter describing your right. book and say that it's, suggest some other books that it's similar to. Um, so, you know, some of, uh, like I remember, in fact, this is how I got my agent. Um, I was looking for sort of books that were, that did something similar, that sort okay. of transcended genre in this way. So I was really sort of, even though I was at that time, I was trying to only read books relevant to Jane Austen or the period, but I was also trying to sort of like, what's a book? So the, um, there was a book that came out in 2013, um, The Golden Genie. Oh, I've heard of that the, one, the, yeah. Oh, it's, it's a great, it's a wonderful book, but it's it's really about, you know, there's a, a golem that comes to New York um, from, from Eastern Europe, from Poland, and is, um, so it's, it's, you know, there's fantasy, but it's also really a story about immigrants, like, the Gollum comes to New York, the genie is accidentally freed from his bottle in lower Manhattan. So there are these two immigrants, it's like 1900 New York. So there's really so this- it's the historical piece. Of like yeah. Really like historical fiction about immigrants, but they're also this magical, you know, elements of like folklore, like, you know, Yiddish sort of Jewish folklore, Arabic folklore. So, you know, that was like, that's, you know, and that's the sort of thing. So that was actually, I wrote to the Gollum and the Genie's agent and he okay. ended up eventually becoming my agent because I sort of pitched this as like, here's similarish, you know, yeah. historical fiction meets science fiction meets Jane Austen. Um, How interesting, okay. 
Yeah, and I didn't really realize when I when I started this how much Jane Austen fan fiction is out there. I think if I had known, I would have been a little discouraged um, because it really ended up being sort of classified as, as um, Jane Austen, you know, not strictly fan fiction. I mean, I guess fan fiction is a very expensive term, but that was really like Jane Austen became the sort of hook, I think. Right. Right. More than the other things. And and I hadn't really hadn't really thought about what that would mean. Um, There's but a that huge sort of Jane Austen it's, it's fan base. It's yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it's like people, you know, it's it's, it's sort of like instant name recognition yeah. for your book. Um, yeah. But on the other hand, you yeah, sorry. That no, I was just gonna say there's a lot of retellings and you know, that kind of thing, and a lot of um I mean, my, my son read one of the, what was it, the Pride, Prejudice, and Sea Monsters or something like that. So, I mean, there's all kinds right. of stuff out there. Yeah. So. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. 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 So it's really crazy. It's 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 just, um you know, she just continues to inspire people in, in so many different ways, which yeah. is good. And the fact that people can continually recreate basically her storylines and make them fresh is also really interesting so yes the tagline that's on your website and it might be on the book I can't remember is what would you give up so she could live and I didn't notice that before I read the book but when I was going back through doing research this week I'm like that is so interesting because when you first get into the book what you give up you're thinking it's you know you're giving up the creature comforts of you know they are giving up the creature comforts of you know the future you know the modern day for them and going back to you know the um the 1800s and you know the doctor is giving up her identity basically you know you think about all that stuff and then when you get to the end of the story it's like all this other stuff that so right. how, I loved, I loved thinking about all that and was curious kind of how that one, how that piece came to be. How that tag, I actually, <laughs> that was actually my, my um, idea. And, you know, the people at HarperCollins, I guess, were, were okay with that. Like they didn't have another idea. Um, so I had actually, it's funny, originally, because I think it's, it's, it's important to have like a, I think when you're writing a novel, it's important to have like a, a, a title and a sort of thing like that, whatever yeah, you would call it. Your tagline like or whatever, whatever, yeah. Flag or one to sort of give you like a sense of where you're going. Yeah, um, kind of your guiding light your, almost your, or your, something. Your North Star. I mean, I yeah. know people who write books and they change the titles or they have no title. But for me, it's like, I really, it was very important. I mean, the title came to me at the same time as the idea. And I oh, never, nice. I never changed the title. Um, I actually had another tagline for a long time, which was very, um, it was very aspirational and it probably makes sense not to anyone but me, but that was, <laughs> that was what I had. Um, so, and this will tell you about like where I was. So my, my original tagline um, was, it's possession meets eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but that was <laughs> the possession um, is another book that inspired me in this writing, which is an amazing book. 
that everyone should read if you haven't read already. It's are called you, are you Possession. Possession mm. by A.S. Byatt. So okay. this was one the Booker Prize, like back in like 1990, I think. Um, it's the story of these two English professors who go on a sort of literary treasure hunt in, um, they're both like specialists in 19th century British literature in, in two different poets. Um, he, the, the guy is like this student of this sort of big poet from the 19th century, who's sort of like, I think inspired, like something like Tennyson, you know, like the big, the big yeah. poet. And um, the woman is like a professor of this female poet who is less well known, but was very, um, something like Christine Rossetti, like, you know, just kind of writing about these folklore. Oh yeah. So, so, so the, it starts in the, in the present or what was now it's historical fiction, but it was like the late eighties. Okay. Um, they're in kind of academic environment. And he discovers a letter in a book um, that like in a book in the, in the library, you know, one of these old books that nobody's checked out. And he realizes it's too, like it, it, it opened, it, it realized there's something about this poet that nobody knew. So he's like, this is, this is big. This could make yeah. my career. He steals the letter. It eventually leads him to, to this female poet and to the female poet, the scholar of the female poet. So they go on this literary treasure hunt, but there's also this parallel storyline of the poets um, taking place in the 19th century. So it's, it's an amazing book. It's just so that sounds like, fascinating. Yeah. Like poetry of the, uh, so I'm sorry, I'm going on and on about this. Book, okay, but it, is, yeah. it is, it is wonderful. Um, so that was one of my inspirations. It, you know, it, it is just a, an amazing work and eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um, is a movie about two people who have their memory erased because they oh. don't want to remember their unhappy love affair. And it's also a movie that I loved. I was very interested in this idea that you could erase your memory. And that was something that was present in the idea of this book all along. Okay. Is that somehow, somehow they would or might, the idea that they would go back to their present and have it be different was something that was always, right. that was always part of my plan that they would save Dane Austin. I'm sorry if I'm giving lots of spoilers and somebody has- No, that's it, okay. We've all read it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that they would, they would save her, but they would pay a very heavy price. Right. And I didn't really initially know what the price was, but I knew it had to do something with memory. And so that was where Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Possession okay. were my two sort of, so that was like my goofy original tagline. And that was only, I don't think I've ever told this to anyone until today. <laughs> So, um, not that it's a very interesting secret, but it, it is a secret. Um, I think that when you start a book, you don't really know where it's going, but you have to have some notion. And that's one of the things mm -hmm. that's so hard of writing fiction is like you're, you're creating something that wasn't there. Um, yeah, you're creating something from nothing. Yeah. Right. And it looks right. inevitable in the end, but actually there were so many choices along the way that you almost even forget about. Well, and even um, all the revisions, it probably became a new entity it, each time. Yeah, it it absolutely did. Um, especially the ending. The ending was very hard to write. I knew I knew where I was going. I just didn't know how to get there. Um, and I had different ideas. Like I had, I had, I had actually planned to kill Liam at one point. Um, 
that that would be the sacrifice, um, oh. a life for life. But then it was like, no, this is a book, like, this is Jane Austen. Like, I can't, like, you know, <laughs> can't do that. I can't do tragedy. Like, that's, that's you know, and then I was like, no, well, he's going to actually end up with his, you know, they're going to go back and he's going to be married with a kid in his new future. And Rachel's going to be like, okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting off the track. It's funny all the different twists that you can do, though, to mess there's with so many characters ways. and people. Yeah, and, yeah. there's so many ways that things can go. And it's like, what is the best way, you know? So that that has been, um, you know, you read a book and you just sort of think, oh, it had to happen this way, but it didn't. Didn't have um, to, yeah. And and I, I, I read novels differently now. Like I'm sort of, sometimes I'll read a novel and I'll be like, this is really interesting, but I think they they wrote it too fast. Like it's not quite baked. Like if they had thought through the implications of this a little more, I, I don't have a specific example. And if I did, yeah. I wouldn't say it. But you know, you, sometimes you read it and you're like, oh, well, great idea, like execution, well, not great. We've wondered like, you know, I wonder if, you know, the editors made them cut out parts of this because it seems like this should have been longer, you know, it should have been more expansive here, you know, something like yeah. that with books. And, and that's just from, you know, having talked about so many books over the past year and a half. Yeah. And yeah, it's made us, it's made me a better reader, a different reader for sure. And yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I often wonder that myself. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're what went wrong uh, and you know maybe nothing went wrong you know maybe they just had like I mean that was the thing with my first editor was we had a difference of vision about she wanted like a happier ending than I was willing to provide and and I kept sort of offering these compromises and it was like no um <laughs> so I kept thinking yeah. one of them would stay in the past mm -hmm. and um and then it's like, oh, they both went back. Okay. And and then Liam's, you know, married to someone else, like, wait. <laughs> it was, so it was really, I mean, it kept you reading until the very end just to see what was going to happen, which I thought was, it, it was super interesting. So I'm glad. I'm glad. So how did you get like the research piece of the time frame. I mean, there's tons of stuff out there and you've got Jane Austen's house and the Jane Austen Center. Was any of that part of all of it? Yeah, um, so, so definitely research was a huge part. And a lot of the reason that I took so long to write this book was the first, really for the first couple of years, I was just reading books like crazy. Um, yeah. And obviously I was in New York, I could not go to England um, I did finally go to England. I went to England about two years into, you know, my 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 research. And at that point, I had a lot of. I was very interested in how things looked, yeah. which you it's hard to get from from reading books. But first, I really started to just. I mean, I went to. Um, I wanted to read. You know, first of all, I reread all of Jane Austen. Um, I started reading biographies of Jane Austen. Okay. I, um, I, so my, I went to college in New York. So I had like borrowing privileges from my college. So there was like an academic library. So I literally read the entire shelf on Jane wow. Austen. Like I would, I would go, I would go up to, to Barnard um, 
where where I was, you know, I would just come home with like an entire bag of books. And I mean, I read them. <laughs> just like, swap you know, them out the next time. Yeah. So just, but also like, you know, historical books about the period. It was very, like, even though it's a very relatively compressed time period, like the Regency, mm -hmm. um, you have to sort of consider, you know, the French Revolution and what was going on with, with the economy and money. Like, I was very interested in um, questions like that. Yeah. And also just things about daily life and like servants. So also I read a lot of books um, at the at the New York Public Library was amazing. You know, there's like the reading room so you can go and get these books that don't circulate that are sort of yeah. obscure. So I kind of like, you know, when I got one book that was that had a really good bibliography, I would just write down all those books and then go and try to find them. So things about houses and servants and you know food so the, all those sort of things I was I was you know clothing was another big one um which is hard to like that was more I think I also did a lot of online research you know there are people that are fascinated by Regency underwear mm -hmm. and you know just have like websites about it so yeah um <laughs> and then I went I went to England. I, I went to the Jane Austen house. Um, I went to Winchester where she died because I had been thinking at that point that I would I would set something in Winchester. I did have a whole okay. section in Winchester at one point. Um, and that's a really lovely place. If you, okay. If you I've never been to that one. Yeah. It's a beautiful town. It's like they, you know, there's a cathedral because it was like a very important town at one point in English history. It, you know, there's this wonderful cathedral and like a there's this river that sort of runs through the town. It's just, right. it's really charming. It's not, it's not far away at all. You know, it's a very easy train ride from London. I also went to Bath because I was yeah. thinking I might set something there, but I ended up not, not doing okay. that. Um, also, I was, I was interested in like house museums. So like, mm -hmm. what did, what did Rachel and Liam's house look like in London that they rented? That was like a problem that right. tormented for years, like what would be in this house? What would it look like? What kind of place, you know, like what did the street look like? Um, and I, I went to some house museums, although actually that the one that really is like the, the later I went to Dublin and there's like a, there's like a house museum there. Like it's called okay. Georgian House, I think. And that was actually the best one in terms of like the size of the house and sort of the layout of the house. Okay. Like some wine merchant's house um, in like 18, you know, but, but yeah. So the, the combination of like- Gave you um, a good idea of what like, yours might look like. I could picture like. them yeah. in that space. Like the kitchen was, you know, down in the bottom of the house. And there's like what's called an area, which is like the, when you have a sort of, like there's the front steps in, but then there's steps down from the sidewalk yeah. sort of, and it goes in, um, that's apparently called an area. Um, and that's where like the, you know, the coal would arrive or the- Right, you know, the, the servant deliveries the, or whatever. The servants yeah. Would, yeah, the delivery, the food deliveries. Um, and just, you know, huh. you know, the public areas would be like the, the, you know, the ground floor and the first floor would be like the, the dining and the sort of entertaining and then you'd go up and there would be the bedrooms and then there right. would be the servants. So just all this sort of thing was very important the to be able to- proper order of, yeah. 
right, to see it in my mind and to imagine sort of the furniture and to see them in space. So I remember at one point I wrote a chapter where it's just like they go to see this house and I described the entire house, like they're like touring the house. And, and you know, people were like, this is really boring. <laughs> like my, my writing group was like, no, this is, this is like, I know you did a lot of research, but this is really boring. And, and you're right, it is. Um, it was like, okay, so which But I'm detail... really proud of all this information I have, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. So, so, it's funny, yeah. I mean, I we've talked to authors before who, same thing where they have just this wealth of information and like this much makes it in the book, but they it's, know all this stuff that was right. relevant to be able to put that right. in and have right. it be accurate. Because it's, yeah, and it's like, it's it's not until you have all that stuff that you know what the one telling exactly. And um, that is actually a little bit like journalism. Like, you know, it's like reporters do all this reporting and then like, you know, it's like an iceberg, just this tiny bit is above the surface, but they know like, you know, tremendous know amount of stuff and, you know, yeah. you ask them a question and they can like go on about it, but it's like, it, you know, how to choose the right thing is like the thing that's so crucial. Yeah, that's, that. yeah, that's, that's very true. So have you ever, participated in like any of those Jane Austen character type things where you dress up and because I've always thought that would be fascinating and um not not exactly um I did one of the other things I did when I started this was I joined my local Jane Austen Society chapter in New York and they typically have like lectures um mm -hmm. You know, people come and talk about things. Um, they always have a, they always have a party for Jane Austen's birthday in December. Um, and there, there was one. I remember somebody, somebody was a costume person, and she came. She came with all these clothes, and she talked about costumes. And I actually joined. Like, so I, I forget exactly. This was a long time ago. This was at the very early stages, but. You know, I remember I was like, you could sign up or raise your hand and go and like go into the room and like either be the maid or be the person okay. and dress or help somebody dress up. So I was actually a, a servant because I thought that would be more interesting. I didn't really feel like dressing up, but I wanted to see <laughs> the underwear, you know. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, people, so, and if you go to like the Jane Austen, they also have a, an annual convention of all the right. Jane Austen. It's like a big deal. It's like three or four days somewhere. Yeah. So they had it in New York, I remember in 2012. Oh, it was actually okay. in Brooklyn. And I went and there was a lot of costuming. Um, so personally, I never got into the dress up. I just, I was, but I, I, you know, I admire that. I admire people that do that. I'm personally not handy. Like I can't sew. Um, and you really need to be able to like, yeah you know do that it's but it's not I, like I you can run down to target and grab it or anything so yeah <laughs> but it yeah it's it's so I've never actually worn you know the corset but I have studied the corset and yeah the outfit. seems like that would be extremely uncomfortable well, you know they get a bad rap corsets um but yeah. really, especially the ones the Georgian era were not so confining it was more like a you know 
like it didn't you know the tiny waists had not come into fashion oh, so the okay. regency the regency gowns were actually kind of forgiving because it's like you have the you know the there's no waist really it's like empire waist so it's just um oh yeah because it just kind of falls down right know, right under but it the... does i mean the ideal figure for that sort of thing is is you know basically quite flat chested and skinny um so so that's you know, it's not a look for everyone. Um. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's it. We had, um, I guess it was February of last year, we read Pride and Prejudice, and then we read um, one of the retellings of it. But there's a lady up in Vermont somewhere that has a house that does um, Jane Austen weekends. And they'll discuss different books, and then they have like a character weekend. Where I think I've, 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 yeah, I, yeah, think I've heard of this lady, yeah. And they do, you know, the bow and arrow and whatever other, you know, things happened at that point in time. But I always thought that would be so fascinating to, yeah. I don't know if I want to dress yeah. up in that because I'm not a big dress person, but it just seems like it would and be fascinating. It would be fascinating. I think when you're actually in the costume, you feel you feel different. Um, I would think so. Yeah, and so. also the, the 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 conventions have like um, I remember doing a one about like learning about ink and you know writing and how Ooh. the physical action of writing was actually accomplished. And this is another area where you know I probably have two sentences about it, but it, it was like months of research. You know, I bet paper, yeah. ink, pens. You know, when were they still using quill you know it's, she's often pictured with like the feathery quill right which apparently people were using quills but they didn't they weren't necessarily all feathered all it was feathered, more just, yeah um and how to like temper the feather it wasn't just like you use a feather you have to like harden it with heat so that it becomes like um more more sturdy probably and, and yeah and, and split the split the nib slightly so it can absorb the ink so there's this whole science of how this is done so yeah just so many things like that that's so interesting yeah crazy so with all this research of both Jane Austen the time frame all of that do you feel like you got a really good sense of who she was and that you were able to put that in your book yeah yeah, because that was that's a whole other area of of study, right? It's not just the time frame, but yeah. what was she really like? Um, yes, and and I mean that was, um, I I mean I think everybody has their own idea of what Jane Austen was like, yeah. but that was definitely something. I mean that was really one of the primary sources of my inspiration. Is like who was this woman? Why? How did she? You know, her life seems so ordinary. How does she end up the way she was? Yeah. This person whose work we're still reading and finding new things in, you know, more than 200 years later. Um, yes, yes, I, I have a definite sense of Jane Austen as a person, but I also feel like she is hard to get to know. And I tried to sort of address that in the, in the action of the novel. I mean, yeah. Rachel comes you know, she comes closer to her, but it's not like they immediately become like, no, buddy, buddy. they don't. Yeah. Um, did you, did you take think, some liberties in there? Well, I, I think you probably had to, but I, I, I don't think I, I did not say anything 
that was knowingly inaccurate. But the thing is, there's so much that we don't know that you inevitably have to fill it with, you know, imaginary things. So um, one of the things, and I think I probably talk about this in the book, is one of the things that's interesting about Jane Austen is that she wasn't famous when she was alive. Right. I mean, she was, she, her, her novels did okay. Like people actually liked them, but it wasn't, she, she had no, I mean, of course she was not publicly known as the author. I mean, she'd never put her name on the books. Um, people sort of knew people insiderly, people knew, yeah. um, you know, the Prince Regent knew and, you know, her brothers, it was supposed to be a secret, but her brothers actually sort of like at one point there's this story about how Charles her youngest brother was one of the sea captains was like on a ship somewhere and somebody was talking about this amazing book that he read and how great it was and he was like you know that's my sister that's like my she sister. was <laughs> um, so people knew but it wasn't okay. like publicly known um <clears throat> nobody nobody wrote a you know there was nothing like public about her and she didn't meet other authors she didn't participate in the literary world um she had she probably could have a little bit if she wanted to like Henry did know people there was there was some point where she could have met Madame de Stahl and she was like no um so she didn't want to be like um and and you know she died really so relatively young that it was like if you know, if she had lived longer, maybe she would have changed her mind about that. She would have wanted yeah. to meet other writers, but so there was no contemporary <clears throat> sort of information about her outside of her own family. Right. And Henry wrote a biographical notice when Pers- Persuasion came out after her death. In, in okay, right. Came out in 1818. She had died in July of 1817, um, and that was the first time that she was. Her name was, you know mentioned and he wrote this very like oh she was wonderful she was kind she was smart you know it's just this like two paragraph thing about how amazing she was no details um so all the biographical details um came from basically the letters the surviving letters, which the letters to cassandra which cassandra cassandra lived to be like 70 something she died in I think 1840 something. That's and pretty impressive. She, yeah. And she kept these letters the whole time, but she burnt that. She burnt a lot of them before she died. And she gave some of them to some nieces and nephews. So these nieces and nephews are really the primary source of information that we have. So in about after the last, so the last sibling died in like 1861 I think okay that was Frank the other sea captain he lived to be 90 something at this point it's like um a little bit after that um this is about the time that the Brontes are becoming famous well Charlotte Charlotte becomes this huge literary celebrity and it's like oh these amazing female writer and so actually the the Austins the the young Austins um are like you know we have this amazing aunt and she wrote these great books and nobody, so they decided yeah. to write a biography of her. Like um, really it was like three of them that sort of the, the one of the sons of her oldest, oldest brother and two of the nieces. So they sat down and sort of put together like what they remembered about their aunt and like, so these old family stories. So basically 
in it's the Victorian era. So all the sort of snarkiness that you see in the letters has been toned down. She's this amazing, you know, <laughs> So that was sort of how Jane Austen biography began. And it's been this sort of process of like trying to unearth from other- The real, sources. yeah. So, so it's, um, it's a fascinating sort of weird thing that happened to her biographically. And, you know, during this time, she's sort of becoming more, she has fans like people, you know, she's never really been out of print and, you know, her profile is sort of going in the, in the end of the 19th century, but it, it, it isn't until long after that yeah. people really be so interested in her as yeah. a person. Um, hmm. And, and yeah, this sort of Victorian, I mean, one of the things about, Jane Austen is like she was born in this kind of raucous, you know, it's like a much more, you know, frank sort of even raunchy sort of world of, of you know, people are more open about, you know, illegitimate children and, you know, right. all these sort of things. And then the Victorians sort of put a lid on all this and this, this idea that women are very proper and, and all this sort of is more from that time, you know, there's like a, right. you know, people are becoming more socially conservative. So, so she's, you know, and the, the nephews are trying to fit her into this box of like the angel in the house. Right, um, right. So that's super, super interesting to me. I'm yeah. sorry if I'm kind of going it's, on about that. No, that's it fun. It's, it's super interesting um, hearing those kind of details. So do you have another book in you, do you think? I'm trying. Um, it's been it's been a long process. Um, yeah. I am still I'm still I mean, and moving to Seoul has been a little distracting. Um, but I am I am trying to write another book um, nice. and I hope that I can do so. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. That's that's uh, exciting. And I hope it goes well, because that's uh, yeah. it's a big job. Obviously, you know that. So. Yeah, yes that's yes. fun so um, what are you reading right now right now um I'm always reading like a bunch of different things um and I am well I just finished a book that I I really enjoyed um like a, a contemporary novel called Fellowship Point okay um which is a, about um it's about a, two women in their 80s and have, have been like lifelong friends. And they're like sort of from this wealthy Philadelphia world. And they, they have, they summer as a verb, they summer in Maine. They have like a, there's these um, cottages that were like sort of set up by their ancestors in the uh -huh. 19th century. And so it's all about like, Really, it's about the friendship of these two women, but it's also about Maine and sort of the Fun. the outsiders. That's so um, I'm very bad at talking about books I read. I should I should um, I read Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Emily Mandel Emily St. John Mandel, okay. um, who's the author of Station Eleven. That was the book that sort of put her on the map. Nice. Um, sea of Tranquility is about some of the things that I've been interested in like so my novel that I'm trying to write now involves um not to give too much away but um it involves like the idea it involves sort of time travel but also the idea that we might be like living in a computer simulation 
and it also involves the Brontes. Um, How interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, um, City of Tranquility deals with some some of the similar some of these similar themes. Like there's this time traveler, and there's like uh, something an, an anomaly. So uh -huh. there's something sort of this rip in the fabric of reality and. So she, but the way that she tells the story is extremely interesting. Um, it reminded me a little bit of of Cloud Atlas, which is another book that yeah. I uh, really really liked um, in the structure of of you know sort of the you start with these seemingly disparate characters and then you see how they fit together. Yeah, you know it would be interesting not to give you another book or anything, but. Um... In the in the Jane Austen project, you talk about the die off, and you talk about this um, organization that does the time travel, and that whole thing of what the die off was, and this organization, and some of the other time travel that they've done, and <laughs> that would be super interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that is sort of a theme that it, that is part of it. Yeah, because um, I'm also interested in that. Like I. You know, obviously, you can't do research about that part. It's like it all has to come from your head. Yeah. So in a way, that can be it can be whatever you want, but that's that's also quite daunting because right again, like how there's you, no research for it. Yeah. You can only sort of look for inspiration in in you know in the world around you, I guess, or in yeah. other books. It's so, funny yeah. the the idea, you know. I, you had mentioned, you know, the idea that there could be time travelers. And when you look around, you see people that look a little out of place and <laughs> give them that side eye, you know, like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like maybe they're among us, right? Yeah. I mean, if time travel has been invented, like, which obviously in the known laws of physics is impossible for many reasons, but you know, it's also true that we don't actually, you know, there's a lot we don't know about the there's world. There's a lot we don't know. Yeah. So it could be, um, it could be that we are living in a computer simulation in a very <laughs> detailed representation reality that we think is reality. And, and actually that, like, once you sort of accept that idea, it becomes very interesting because it's almost like, um, the creator of your simulation, I mean, that is like an argument for the existence of God, right? That, and in fact, maybe, you know, we are like, what do, what does it mean to live in a simulation? If it's completely like reality, where, where does reality end and the simulation right. begin? And, you know, the creator of the simulation, you know, who is this mighty being, you yeah. know? Uh, so it's, it's almost like the best argument for the existence of God. If you're like an atheist, it gives you pause, right? It's like, hmm. like, how did things end up? Like another thing that I like to read, I, you know, that I have sort of been reading over the years are these sort of, I'm very interested in, you know, notions about physics and time travel and the nature of the universe. And so I, I, I was actually reading a book about, um, some of it was very boring, but some of it was very interesting called Reality Plus, which okay. explores this idea of um, if we were living in a simulation, how would we know? And what would it look like? Is this and would possible? it matter? Would it matter? Well, that's exactly, <laughs> because ultimately- you It's our reality. In the world. 
right? It's yeah. it's, it's real enough. Um, so yeah, these That's are so the kind funny. of questions that I'm very interested <laughs> in. It'll be fun to see what you come up with for this next book and all of that going around in your mind. That'll be fun. That'll be fun to hear. Thank you so much I, for joining us tonight. This has been so much fun. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I really, um, it's very, it's very good to, to think about all these things. So yeah, it's fun to hear your thought process behind the project and, and how you, you know, what you were thinking of as you created these characters and the situations and all of that. So it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, Becky. Yeah, enjoyed it. And uh, when the next one comes out, I'd love to hear. You'll be hearing from me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Have a okay. good day. You too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for joining me today on the Literary Escape Podcast. If you enjoy hearing the behind the book story, then join me in the Literary Escape Society. We are a community of travelers who love books, or maybe book lovers who love to travel. Either way, if you need an escape, a literary escape, come join us as we read our way around the world together, one book at a time. Check out the show notes to learn more about the Literary Escape Society. And we'll see you next time on the next episode.